Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Good Monday morning. It is January 29, 2024, and we are in the Caribbean for the Good News Marriage Cruise. Hope you're having a great Monday morning. And we don't have a live studio audience this morning, but we will have one tomorrow, God willing. So keep praying for us because we're hoping all the technology will continue to work smoothly. You never know what's going to happen when you're doing live radio from a cruise ship. I mean, isn't that crazy? Think about that. We are having a wonderful time, and we began on Friday evening with a beautiful talk by... Dr. Scott Hahn and his wife, Kimberly, about 400 people. It was a sellout event, and it was just delightful. And then Saturday morning, we headed over to, from Orlando, the airport hotel there where we were staying, to Port Canaveral, and all hopped on the adventure of the seas to begin yet another Good News cruise, a jam-packed cruise. We have the leadership of the incredible Archbishop Nauman, of Kansas City. What a great leader he is. Father Michael Schmitz is joining us. We also have, oh my goodness, let's see, Dr. Ray Garendi, Alan Sally Cresta, and so many other wonderful folks who are giving us talks and sharing of their time, talent, and treasures. And we are having another Good News Cruise next year in 2025. And 2026, we're actually going to be, God willing, trying something a little bit different where we're going to try to charter an entire ship. I'm not kidding. So this particular ship that we're on, the, Venture, the Adventure of the Seas, was remodeled. It came out in, I think, 2002 or 2003, and it's been completely revamped. It's a gorgeous ship that holds close to 4,000 people, 4,000 people. We have 800 on our Good News Cruise. But think about how large and amazing these vessels have to be to house that many people. And this is not considered one of their mega ships now. It actually is just one, one of their average-sized ships, but... Either way, it's a great time. It's a beautiful time. And what a great way to make sure that you're spending quality time with your spouse. So speaking of quality time, I hope you stay tuned for the program today because we're excited to have Steve Ray with us. I sat down with him last week. And last week, actually, I think we actually did it on the feast day of the conversion of St. Paul. And we are diving into this really important feast day. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because if you think about it, and Steve will discuss this, how many saints do we know in terms of feast days, actually, in the Catholic Church, that we celebrate their conversion if they're, let's say, converts. But the story of Paul is so important. Saul, right, becoming St. Paul, one of the most important writers of the New Testament, what an incredible journey. And what happened to him on the road to Damascus, if we think about it, we've all had our road to Damascus moments when the Lord has knocked us off our high horse and told us, no, I am God and you are not. I don't know about you, but it's happened to me plenty of times, and I think it's very healthy because it really humbles you. And then we're going to be checking in with Kevin Murphy, and Kevin Murphy is from the wonderful organization, the Cardinal Newman Society, and this is Catholic Schools Week. I'm a product of Catholic schools, eight years of grade school, and I love that school. I think it really gave me the foundation that enabled me to come back to the Catholic Church, even though I fell away for many years. But the interesting take that Kevin has and that we're going to discuss this morning is in addition to promoting really good, healthy Catholic schools, we have to look at the reality, he says, of how many schools we've lost and what we need to do to get those numbers back up, to get more kids into really great, solid, orthodox Catholic education. So that is our program for today. Do hope you can stay tuned for the entire hour. And once again, we are on the Adventure of the Seas for the Good News Marriage Cruise 2024. The website, if you'd like to find out more information, goodnewscruise.com. It's all about the marriage journey journeying together through marriage, reflecting on the past, and looking forward to the future. It's about five minutes past the hour now. It's a Monday morning. It's January 29th, and you're listening to EWTN. Let's check the news on a Monday. President Biden is condemning a deadly drone strike on American troops in Jordan. Three U.S. service members killed and at least two dozen others hurt Saturday night and an outpost near the Syrian border. In a statement, Joe Biden saying the attack was carried out by radical Iran-backed militant groups operating in the region. The president calling it a despicable and wholly unjust act, adding that he and Jill joined the country in grieving the loss of these warriors. It marks the first U.S. troops killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the start of the Israeli-Hamas war. And Scott Card tells us from Washington, the U.S. military presence in Iraq is about to change. 
U.S. and Iraqi defense officials have held a first round of discussions working toward a timeline to decrease foreign involvement in the region. There are still around 2,500 U.S. soldiers currently deployed as part of a coalition to help guard Iraq against ISIS. That began in 2014. Since ISIS lost its hold on Iraq, officials have since called for the withdrawal of coalition forces, especially after a U.S. airstrike in January of 2020 that killed Iranian top commander Qasem Soleimani. The US U.S. has started the formation of a committee that will negotiate the terms of the end of the mission. Diplomatic efforts are underway to free the remaining hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. CIA Director William Burns is meeting with officials from Israel and Qatar in Paris in an effort to break a deadlock in talks for a new hostage deal. The talks come as the New York Times reports a written draft agreement calls for the release of more than 100 hostages in exchange for a two-month ceasefire in Gaza. The paper says negotiators cautiously optimistic they may be closing in on a deal. Jim Forbes tells us countries are joining the U.S. meanwhile in pausing funding for the U.N. agency responsible for Palestinian refugees. Britain, Germany, Italy, Canada and others halted funding after allegations from Israeli authorities that several U.N. Relief and Works agency staff were involved in Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel. That organization provides aid and services to Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and West Bank. The head of the agency said on Saturday that nine countries have suspended funding, threatening humanitarian work across the region, but especially in the Gaza Strip. When you feel tempted or that the devil is leading you in the wrong direction, invoke Jesus. Vatican News reporting this was a suggestion of the Holy Father that he offered to the faithful during his Angelus address yesterday in St. Peter's Square. As he reflected on Sunday's gospel passage, according to St. Mark, which recalls Jesus freeing a person who had been possessed by an evil spirit, the Holy Father reminding the faithful the devil wants to take hold of us, but we can resist him by staying close to the Lord. He said the devil desires to possess in order to chain our souls, and that therefore we must guard against the chains that suffocate our freedom and enchain our hearts. Jesus, the Holy Father highlighted instead, desires that love, joy, and meekness may reign and that there be freedom, peace, and care instead of violence and cries of hatred. And the Pope on Saturday addressing a group of children preparing to receive the Sacrament of Confirmation. In his welcoming remarks, the Pope greeting the parents, family members, catechists, and the bishop, Giuseppe Centriano. The Pope opening his address by asking the children whether they knew the date of their baptism. With this question, he encouraged both the children and the adults to reflect on the important milestone, suggesting that the day be celebrated annually akin to a second birthday. And then he said the sacrament of confirmation serves to solidify and strengthen the commitments made during baptism, outlining the roles played by the Holy Spirit in the church, saying that through confirmation, we accept this mission as a personal commitment as protagonists and not spectators. Former President Donald Trump says he will not support a bipartisan bill that would give President Biden emergency authority to shut down the southern border without congressional support. Trump making a comment at a rally in Vegas over the weekend. He also praised Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Friday called defying the U.S. Supreme Court and calling out other states to send National Guard troops to Texas for more support. GOP presidential hopeful and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley saying the primary in her home state is not do or die. I need to show that I'm building momentum. I need to show that I'm stronger in South Carolina than New Hampshire. Does that have to be a win? I don't think that necessarily has to be a win. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday, Haley acknowledging she needs to do better than she did in New Hampshire, but can still make a strong showing, and that would actually be winning the state. She said her goal is to keep her momentum and continue to gain on former President Trump. She downplayed current South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster's endorsement of Trump, noting that she beat McMaster when she ran for governor. Katie Gray tells us that Georgia lawmakers are trying to keep up with artificial intelligence by working on state-specific legislation to try to ward off anyone trying to confuse or mislead voters before the next election. With the increasing advances and growing popularity of AI software, it's also sparking very real concerns around the idea of politically generated fake images. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Rackensberger tells Atlanta News First, AI and foreign interference are two of the greatest risks to, to Georgia's November election. Some of that disinformation you've seen on the internet, things like that, social media, that was coming from Iran, Russia, China. In fact, that's even coming right now. State legislators review House Bill 986, which would make it a criminal offense if anyone creates a deep fake, along with House Bill 988 to create an annual report detailing how state agencies are using AI. I'm Katie Gray. 
Deanna Kodiak says the IRS will begin accepting 2023 tax returns on Monday. The agency says it's expecting over 128 million individual tax returns to be filed ahead of the April 15th deadline. This year, the IRS is rolling out several new tools it says will make filing taxes easier. Taxpayers who earn less than 79 grand can also take advantage of IRS free file tax software to file electronically at irs.gov. I'm Dina Kodiak. And finally, in our news segment on a Monday morning, the stage has been set for Super Bowl 58. The Kansas City Chiefs will battle the San Francisco 49ers in Las Vegas on Sunday, February 11th. KC advancing to the big game following a 17-10 win over the Ravens. And the 49ers storm back from the largest halftime deficit in conference championship game history to beat the Detroit Lions 34-31 in the NFC title game from Santa Clara. More Catholic Connection coming your way on a Monday morning. Stay tuned. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry, providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Family life is a ministry. We tend to think of ministry as the churchy stuff we do at church, but the word ministry means doing any activity that communicates God's love to another person. When we help our family love and worship God every day at home, we're doing ministry. When our families cherish each other with Christ's love, we're doing ministry. When our family is kind to others, or when we invite others to our home for godly fun and fellowship, or when we try to attend to each other's needs generously and cheerfully, we're doing ministry by doing things that share God's love with others. The ministry of domestic church life is among the most important ministries of all. And discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life. Check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Connection. We're on the Good News Marriage Cruise, and we're having a great time, and we are doing so many different things and having so many wonderful speakers. Now, Steve Ray was with us before. He and Janet were with us on the Good News Cruise, and hopefully he'll be back with us again. And what I love so much about Steve is that he's so full of information, whether it be about the faith in general or, of course, his expertise in the Holy Land and the Middle East, but also his expertise on the saints, including one of his favorites, St. Paul. We're talking today about the conversion of St. Paul with Steve, even though the feast day was recently on January 25th. It's really important, I think, Steve, and I know you agree, which is why you're joining us today, to dive into the lives of these saints. We're talking about the conversion of this great saint, considered to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the greatest writers of the New Testament. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Teresa. Always delightful to join you for these kind of conversations. Yeah, it's a it's an unusual feast day because normally it is the death of a saint where we rec- remember the day they died and were translated into heaven. We even have uh, a few that mark the uh, founding of a, an important church, but I think this is the only one that t- is a conversion. And it's St. Paul because it's such a singular, important event. He wrote half the books of the New Testament. And when you consider that, not half the words, but half the books, <laughs> then you've got a guy who's pretty darn important and he i would think has more study of his writings have been done than anybody maybe other than jesus but paul has to be right up there with those that have been studied the most discussed the most argued the most even the reformation the splitting of christianity over but he's not just a christian church saint figure he 
figures in on all of Western civilization mm-hmm. because Christianity had that impact, and he took the gospel and the good news out to the whole world, not just in the Jerusalem area. He went to the whole world. The impact he's made on the Western world is unfathomable. So it's really an important day, and uh, one I enjoy celebrating. So you've been actually to the site of St. Paul's conversion in Damascus twice and can share his experience there, but also yours. So kind of set the scene for us, if you would. Sure. He's, we hear him first time in the New Testament, although we can draw a lot of conclusions. I do a two- or three-hour talk on the life of St. Paul, and we know a lot about his life before we meet him in the New Testament simply because of some anecdotal comments that he makes along the way and what it was like to live back then. But the first time we meet him is when it's a stoning of St. Stephen, the deacon, at the end of chapter Mm -hmm. 7 of of the book of Acts. And it says that a man named Saul of Tarsus was doing two things, holding the cloaks of those who stoned him and giving his approval of the execution. The way that it says that he's giving his approval almost implies that he is a member of the Jewish courts, the Sanhedrin, and was there as their representative, uh, representative giving the approval of the courts to go ahead and kill this man, who they viewed was uh, was a threat to the Jewish temple and temple worship and so on. So now it says that after that happens, he is enraged at the Christians, and there's a persecution that goes on. It says all of the Christians fled Jerusalem, only the apostles stayed. Now, of course, that's an exaggeration, but it means that they scattered to get out of Jerusalem because there was a persecution going on, Stephen being the first to fall to that persecution as a martyr. And it says that he goes to the Saul of Tarsus, goes to the Sanhedrin and gets papers to go out and arrest the Christians who are elsewhere. And he says he goes up to Damascus, and this is the exact words from the book of Acts, breathing threats of murder. Mm. He's on his way over 100 miles from Jerusalem. And and I, whenever we take our groups, we stop at the border with Syria, and we look out over Syria and talk about the situation there. But I say, see that road right there? That's probably right the road where Paul was galloping along. And then he went over that hill there, and Damascus is just 20 minutes away. Wow. And yeah, I remember you doing that with us so many times, too. Yep. Yeah. And so when we were filming, of course, I we went there twice, Janet and I, and we first time I went to scout, you know, to figure out where we're going to shoot and what scenes we needed to have and so on. And then the next time I went back with our filming crew. And I remember the first time stopping and I, I told the our, our driver and our guide that I wanted to go to the place where Paul had this experience. And he took us down this dirt road and there was a chapel there, kind of a nice chapel. I think I sent you a picture of it. And it's called the Chapel of St. Paul's Vision, Cow Cub. And that is marks the place for his Paul, Saul of Tarsus. I call him Saul of Tarsus because pretty much he's not referred to as Paul until later. He had two names from his birth. He had a Roman name and a Jewish name because he was Roman and, and Jewish at the same time. Mm-hmm. So... But he, they referred to him as Saul of Tarsus up until he starts going out to preach to the Gentiles. So Saul of Tarsus is on his way on this dusty road, and he hears a voice from heaven and a great light, and he falls to the ground. I remember standing there in the dust with my sandals on. I looked up, and it was a very hot day, and the sun was there. And I remember I wept. I just, I just was imagining, saying, Lord... That's amazing what you did right here 2,000 years ago. Mm. And you brought this man, this arrogant, self-righteous man, breathing murderous threats against your new church, and he's going up to get him, bring him back, and execute him. And yet, look what you did here on this road. And I remember I just cried thinking about it. And um, from there, you can, from where I stood, you can look down the road nine miles, and in the valley to the right is a little bit, uh, down in the valley there is the beautiful city of Damascus, and all this all the buildings are made out of the same material, uh, Jerusalem limestone, and so it's just beautifully um, uniform in color, and there's no big skyscrapers or anything. It's just you know a city out there sprawled out over the valley, very beautiful, and it was the sun was hot. It can be 100 degrees very easy, and you could see the heat waves. 
Mm-hmm. And I just looked out there and said, Paul was thinking that he was going to arrive galloping in on horses. And I do believe it was a horse. Um, some people argue with that, but I, I, I contend that it was a horse. And he was planning to go in there as a military guerrilla force almost to get these guys, drag them out and take them back to Jerusalem. But instead he goes into Damascus very differently, blinded, probably with a little boy holding his hand as he's stumbling along <laughs> going into the city. And nobody could believe that he was there. They thought it was a scam, that he was telling him he had to see this, this event took place in there. He was to kind of get in behind the scenes and find out it was a, a subversive thing. But he ended up being the, the real deal. And they the Jews were so mad at him there, he had come to get rid of these radical, heretical Christians, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, he comes in as one of them. By the way, the word Christian, people don't realize it, Christ, the word Christ is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. So Jesus is the Messiah in Hebrew, but the Christ in Greek, same word. So when anybody says they are Christian, what they're really saying is, I'm a follower of the Jewish Messiah, mm-hmm. the anointed one. So they were so mad they're going to kill him, and the only they're watching the city gates. They're going to catch him and kill Paul. But what they what they did is his friends got a basket and they lowered him down, three stories high, down in the basket so that he could escape at night. So you know what I had to do when I was there, of course. Yeah, I remember. I, and yeah. you have the picture that you sent me. You reminded me of it. It's incredible. Yeah. Talk about reporter involvement. Yeah, and that's so I came down. That's the place uh, section of the wall. It's called over St. Paul's Gate. And so sure enough, we had, I bought a big basket and I had five guys up on top of the wall and they lowered me down three stories. And that was jerky. And I remember hearing them say something like, hey, maybe we should have had a few more guys. <laughs> and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> We're talking with Steve Ray on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, which was actually January 25th, but a timeless story, a story actually told three times in Acts and mentioned further in Galatians, of course, his road to Damascus experience. And Steve, I kind of, I mean, I know you'll, you're, you're certainly not uh, you know, an ego person who would compare himself to St. Paul, but in terms of your own life's journey, it's very interesting what God does because you were out there trying to convince Catholics to leave the church and thinking, oh, good, I got another one. And yet you became Catholic when you tried to convince Al, our very own Al Cresta, not to go back to the Catholic Church that he eventually obviously came back to after years and years as a Protestant pastor. So in some ways you're, you're similar where you were really confident in thinking the church was not the church that you see now. Right. I, I was a li- a very little compared to the big St. Paul. By the way, the word Paul means small. It's <laughs> kind of a funny thing. His first name, is, his Jewish name is Saul, after the king, first king who was head and shoulders taller than anyone else, and his Roman name is Paul, which means small, because he probably was only five feet tall, or five foot two or something from descriptions of him. But yeah, I, I considered myself kind of a persecutor, but not certainly not in any caliber with him. But also, I, I still remember it was, uh, I didn't get knocked off a horse or anything, but I remember the day I sat down and started to cry. Because the Lord just revealed to me, this is the church. And Janet says, why are you crying? And I said, because I just realized I'm a Catholic. Wow. So, you know, and then I I came over and people couldn't believe that I was a Catholic. I remember even, you know, they didn't believe Paul was Christian when he came in there. They thought it was a trick. And I remember even the first person I told, I called Al Cresta January 1st of 1994. I said, Al, guess what? I'm a Catholic. And he didn't say anything. And I said, Al, Al, are you there? Are you there? And he said, yeah, what did you just say? I said, I'm a Catholic. He said, you're the last person I thought I'd hear say that. Wow. Are you sure? Uh, yes, I'm sure. But, yeah, it's um, – and, and, you know, one of the things about uh, – kind of shift gears here – is one of the things about this whole thing is that I sometimes say that nothing really happened on the road to Damascus with Saul of Tarsus because when he was there, he was defending the God of Israel with all his might, and he would have died for the God of Israel with all his might. When he got up from the road, he was still a man who was Jewish and ready to love and fight and die for the God of Israel. That hadn't changed. What changed is he got the memo. He got the new game plan saying, hey, wait a minute, you're on the right side. You're fighting for the same God, but but this guy, Jesus, he's actually the Messiah that that your Jewish God sent you. Mm -hmm. So he now, he gets up, he's still Jewish, 
and he's still ready to fight for the God of Israel, but he just realizes there's a new game plan now, and that this Jesus is the Messiah, so he's now a fulfilled Jew. And I use the example that once I gave my conversion story to conference, and a Jewish lady stood up after she was so upset, she said, I'm Jewish, and I converted to the Catholic Church, too. I said, no, you didn't. And she goes, yes, I did. I said, no, you didn't. I said, you are a fulfilled Jew. Mm. I'm a convert. I said, but you were Jewish. And all of a sudden you realized that Jesus was your Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. And so you believed in him. So now you're still Jewish, but you are a fulfilled Jew. You didn't convert. You just became fulfilled. She Amen. goes, oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> she loved it. More with Steve Ray on the conversion of St. Paul, the feast day, January 25th. And we come back on Catholic Connection. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for tuning in to Catholic Connection on a Monday. And we are on the Adventure of the Seas with 800 people joining us for the annual Good News Marriage Cruise. And on Friday night, we had Dr. Scott Hahn and Kimberly Hahn, as I mentioned earlier. And with us, we have Father Michael Schmitz and Archbishop Nauman. Deacon Domini giving a talk yesterday, our reversion story and our marriage story, our marriage journey. Alan Sully Crestor here, Dr. Ray Grendy. I do hope you can join us on the next Good News Cruise next year, goodnewscruise.com. It's going to be great. And tomorrow, it's kind of quiet. You don't hear people in the background because tomorrow we'll actually have a live audience. Today we have a special presentation for you of Catholic Connection with our well-known friend, Steve Ray, of course, a regular on lots of great radio shows and TV shows on EW10. Today we're talking about the conversion of St. Paul, which feast day was celebrated last week. Steve, we were chatting during the break, and this is really powerful. You said the question that Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, asked Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus formed his whole theology and his whole ministry. So the question is, why, why are you persecuting me? Correct? Yes, the, the Word of God is always powerful. It always has great power to it transformative power as well, and it's always deeper than it seems on the surface. So Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? No, he didn't say that. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? No, he didn't say that, but that's what's happening. But he says, why do you persecute me? Well, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus is. There's no way Paul can persecute him. How can, what's he going to do, reach up and pull Jesus down and punch him in the nose? What? What, what can Jesus mean by that? Well, when you understand that the, the church is the mystical body of Christ, that he is the body and the head. We are his members of his body. So when the church is persecuted, it's Jesus that's persecuted. Right. The book of Colossians is all about Jesus as the head of the church. The twin epistle, Ephesians, is all about Jesus, the body of the church, the head and the body. you got to read those two epistles together to get the whole picture. When we were there at the place of St. Paul's conversion, um, and I explained this, that Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Janet walks up on film and stomps on my foot. Bam! Like that. She just stomps on my foot. And I yell, ouch! And then I told to the camera, I said, notice, she stomped on my foot. My foot which got hurt, but my head yelled, ouch! Mm-hmm. Because my head and my foot are connected on one body. So are we with Christ the head and the church is his body. So when Paul hears those words, why do you persecute me? He realizes that he's in Christ and Christ is in him. We're one body. So from then on, all of Paul's teaching is about how baptism places us into Christ, how Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And in the book of Ephesians, I think 13, almost over 20 times, it says the phrase, we are in him or he is in us, because that's exactly those words of Jesus on the road to Damascus were the seed of all of Paul's theology. His whole theology is about how now we are in Christ and Christ is in us because Jesus is the body and we're part of that mystical body. Did he really fall off of a horse? I know you said you do think he was riding a horse, but did he really fall off of a horse, do you think? Well, he said he hit the ground. Okay. <laughs> I, I like to jokingly say that he fell off his high horse. Um, but it says he, uh, he, he actually he hits the ground. So... My thinking is this. It's a hundred, over a hundred miles. Rabbis rode donkeys or, or um, mules. Poor people walked. 
military rode horses. Horses was basically for the military. When Paul was arrested later in Jerusalem and they took him out to Caesarea to be tried, there were like a whole, uh, I think it was even 200 horsemen that went with them. Maybe that was the infantry, but they did have a whole uh, band of horsemen taking and escorting Paul out there. So there were horses, military rode horses. Paul, I think, was on a military expedition. He had soldiers and guards with him on his way up there. It's a hundred miles. I think he would walk if he had horses. So my guess is that he could have been on a horse. And I, I and all the great artwork, I'm right. sure there's one or two that don't. But look at Caravaggio. It's probably my favorite of him mm-hmm. looking up and the horses standing there like, what just happened? So my guess is he was on a horse, and it would certainly fit. And when we made the movie, we did a, a whole documentary on Paul where we went to all these places called Paul Contending for the Faith. It's on my website. I I, I always, like you talk about actor involvement or reporter involvement, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ten times in order to get all this the footage right. I was galloping on a horse and I fell off. And we did it ten times in order to get all the right footage. But I was raised with horses, so I know how to do that. Well, it's interesting in the beautiful painting you sent me in, in your notes, which are always great, by the way, there's there's the sword, and that would be associated with the military, which makes sense and, and would tie into the horse. But also when we see St. Paul, when you're in Rome, and you know this better than anybody, you always see St. Peter with St. Paul, see Peter with the keys and St. Paul with the sword. So is that an association to his to the, to the military imagery? I think it could be. Usually the things that they carry is the, is the way that they died. Peter right, and he had his head, his head chopped off, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and he was also, he's uh, teaching the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. But mm-hmm. also, Peter carries the keys, which shows something to do with his ministry or his life, and so the sword with uh, Saul could be the same. It could have multiple meanings, I think, right. that sword. Mm-hmm. What I think is, is, so, is so powerful, as we alluded to your uh, conversion earlier, that God takes someone who has such a knowledgeable background of a particular situation and then uses that differently than the person ever expected. So Saul is out persecuting Christians, but he's not doing it without a lot of knowledge because he was trained by the best of the best and he was one of the best Jewish students. Yeah, this is, uh, he was raised in Tarsus, which had eclipsed Athens as the center of Greek learning and philosophy. Tarsus was, it's in in, the middle of Turkey of today. Uh, right above Syria, and that's where he grew up as a boy. And that's interesting because God was very smart, knowing that he was going to be the missionary to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. He had him start his life there, so he learned the Greek way of life and culture and language. And then his dad says, boy, this kid is smart, boy. He had all the brain cells connect up there with this guy. i got to get him to Jerusalem to study with the best doctors of mm-hmm. the law in the university down there. So he takes them down, and he studies under Gamaliel, who the Jews didn't call rabbi. They called him Rabon, which means our rabbi. And he was so well-known. So you've got the best and the brightest of the students seated at the feet of the best and the brightest of the rabbis. And God is just preparing him for this event. And, of course, the road to Damascus is the culmination of that, isn't he? Paul said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was of pure Israel stock. And as to the law, I was blameless. I'm from no small city of Tarsus. He's very arrogant. But then later after this, he's very humbled. And I do this in the movie uh, in Philippi where he writes to the Philippians and says, everything that I have done, I count as rubbish. But that word rubbish is actually the SH word. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, there have these old stone toilets there in Philippi, and I'm sitting on these old stone toilets from the first century, which Paul would have used when he was there talking about how he considers all of this but excrement. All of his self-righteousness is just excrement compared to being to being found in the righteousness of Christ. So yeah. that conversion story was a singular event, and it changed the world. It did. It changed the world. It, it changed so many hearts, especially Paul's, and it changed also so much in terms of Christianity and what we know about the importance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and the very God that uh, he was defending before he had his road to Damascus experience. Steve, thanks so much. Appreciate it. More information on this on Steve's website, catholicconvert.com. We'll be right back. Welcome 
Catholic Connection. Good to be with you, and always great to catch up with our friends at the wonderful Cardinal Newman Society. Kevin Murphy is on the phone with us, Vice President of Marketing and Communications. And, and Kevin, you know I'm a product of, of Catholic schools, at least in grade school, and I have to say I did have a really good Catholic education, and the roots I did receive there actually eventually helped bring me back to the church. Now, I fell away after I graduated because in high school, it was a public school. We didn't have a lot of the, the things they have now for kids and young people growing up. But eventually, when my life started to spin out of control, I realized, hmm, maybe I need to go back to that Catholic thing that I learned about. And I did, thanks be to God, as you know. But there are a lot of problems, even though we're, we want to talk about and praise Catholic schools because there are so many good ones. I think we have to have a, a reality check and make sure that we are understanding we still have to fight for good, solid, orthodox Catholic education, correct? That's right. You know, uh, unfortunately, I think we get caught up as a layperson sitting, sitting in the pew for years and years and hearing the, quote, celebration of Catholic schools. You know, you celebrate it as a somewhat of a passive participant. Yeah, Catholic schools, they're, you know, they're good. And and you don't really think about it. And uh, when you become a parent, or if you do what you did, which is go through that reversion stage where you're mm-hmm. looking for authenticity, you know, it becomes um, very painful because suddenly you are exposing the inadequacies of some Catholic schools. They're still called Catholic, and that's what makes it so you know difficult for parents uh, to find a true, authentic Catholic home that teaches what the Church teaches. Now let's look at the numbers. Uh, you have some statistics you gave us in, in the story that, that you're um, putting out there because of Catholic Schools Week. Uh, the first one is very interesting, that K-12 schools have decreased over 54% in the last that's, 60 years. That's right. In my lifetime, Catholic schools in the K-12 market have gone down 54%. Last year, people talk, and this is what I mean about, you know, Let's let's get a little bit of levity with the positives. Last year, 20 schools opened. Well, three and a half times more of those closed. So you look at the number of Catholic schools. When I was attending school, there was something like 13,000 Catholic schools. Now we have under 5,900. And that's just buildings. And I know we're not talking about buildings because we're talking about the souls we place in those buildings. So here's an even more startling statistic, and that is students within that time frame, have gone from 5.2 million students in Catholic schools back in the early 1960s, let's say, to today where we're down to 1.6 million. In other words, we've lost 3.6 million students, and that means you break it down over 60 years, we lose 60,000 students every single year that leave a Catholic school and don't come back. Okay, so the big question is why? What's happening with this, with these decreasing numbers? You know, first of all, I think just what we've talked about in the past, the discrepancy in terms of what are you encountering in your area? You know, I had a very difficult time with our kids schooling, trying to find the right school. And I lived in Missouri at the time, and we drove 33 miles to get to a school that was authentic, that we thought was really trying to teach the faith, that is doing incredible things. But we had to pass several along the way, and some of them very, you know, noted, uh, expensive um, high schools, you know, or even K-12 schools, schools that just, you know, weren't teaching in line with what the Church teaches. I mean, we've seen that this year in Mm -hmm. 2023, where schools will say something, they'll put something up, the bishop will tell them to take it down, and they'll simply say no. Mm-hmm. No, we're not going to take this down. We're going to fly this uh, LGBTQ flag. We're going to fly this, you know, Black Lives Matter flag, whatever it is. Um, and, and it's in direct opposition to what the church actually wants of that school. So it's difficult for parents to find that authentic school that they can invest in, that they can believe in, and that will give them their kids, give their kids that true Catholic education, that thing that you said brought you back. Mm-hmm. You have to get that. Yeah. Absolutely. Talking with Kevin Murphy, Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Cardinal Newman Society, about the uh, reality of the situation, uh, the good, the bad, and in some ways the ugly, too, in terms of uh, what's happening with our Catholic schools and the numbers decreasing. So how do you combat this, or how do you uh, propose to combat this, which is an ongoing problem, we've talked about this before, through the Cardinal Newman Society efforts? 
So our, the Cardinal Newman Society, for those that don't know it, was, was founded by a gentleman who went to Fordham University and encountered the very things that we're talking about. He was scandalized by the things that were occurring on the campus, the clubs, programs, the literature, whatever it may be. Speakers, you know, honoring speakers who are openly dissenting from the church. All these kinds of things began to weigh on him, and he started the Cardinal Newman Society back in 1993. And the goal was just to say, look, you know, at first he was calling out these schools, and people uh, said, well, you know, that's good, um, but let's let's acknowledge it. It was actually Father Benedict Rochelle who said, let's acknowledge the good ones. Mm-hmm. And so we started publishing a thing called the Newman Guide, and that is now 16 years old. We published the Newman Guide, and we list in colleges the colleges that teach in the heart of the Church, as Pope John Paul II said, you know, in, in teaching with the heart of the Church and in consistency with what the Church teaches, so that parents can look at that list and say, okay, if I'm going to send my kids to school, I don't want them going and being indoctrinated in some socialist, communist agenda. I want them to be able to go someplace where they're getting the fullness of the faith and the, the you know, teaching the whole human person. And these schools, these colleges did it. Now, when we look at it, there's 215-plus Catholic colleges and universities, but only about 23 make the Newman Guide. Mm-hmm. Last year, on our anniversary, we extended the Newman Guide recognition into the K-12 market, and it is a monumental undertaking. But that is because, as I said, there's only 215 or so Catholic universities and colleges. When you go to the K-12 market, as we said, there's just under 5,900. So it's it's a monumental undertaking, but it's absolutely necessary. I wonder why, and let me ask you this question first before I jump to the second question. Some parents, I mean, they would automatically assume that Catholic schools are truly Catholic. Do you think enough parents do their homework before they decide which school to choose? I don't. Um, I don't. Uh, because... I have run into so many parents that have actually, you know what they've done? The, the thing that I'm always astonished at is they buy a home, which is probably the largest purchase of your lifetime. And they buy a home because, and they put it in a school or a school district that they perceive through verbal, you know, reputation to be a high standard. And sometimes these are schools that tout things like, you know, uh, uh, they, they want some kind of a ribbon or, you know, they have a higher, uh, propensity to produce students that are, quote, college-ready, um, those types of things. So I think a lot of times parents can be duped into believing that that's what they want, because everybody wants the best for their student, right? Everybody. I mean, everybody wants the best for their for their, their child. And But, you know, if it's, uh, Pope Benedict XVI talks about this in a letter. He talked about the urgent task of educating young people. And, and he called it an educational emergency, and where we have to say, what exactly can we give these parents who are desperate for truth? And that's where the Catholic school has to step in, and it has to be the fullness of the faith. It can't be something that's just left right. up to the mandate of an individual. I love the quote you have here from Pope Benedict, not even the greatest values of the past can simply be inherited they must be claimed and renewed through an often anguishing personal option. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? And you yeah. think of it, and you know this. I mean, uh, uh, any parent that has gone through kind of this, this anguish about where they're going to put their child should really do a little bit of investigation into what, the tr- what that school does. Don't just take it for granted that it has the name Catholic and therefore it will teach what the church teaches. There's... There's lots of schools that are out there that are called Catholic that I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, get a pass and, and don't um, fulfill their name. We'll return after these messages. Did you know that the words listen and silent had the same letters in them? Coincidence? Maybe not. Because in order to truly listen, you must be silent. That is not always easy for a girl who likes to talk and one who's been trained to do so on the radio. But in order to hear God's words, I must be silent. I must truly listen in order to hear. In Psalms it reads, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. We must be silent in various situations, not just in prayer. 
silence is sometimes needed in everyday conversations with friends, family, and colleagues. See, I like to talk, so shutting my mouth so others can be heard is something I have to work on. You are trained to do so as a broadcaster. A good interviewer listens to the guest in order to take the conversation where it needs to go, where God wants it to go. This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Danhagarmo, a communications evangelist. How did we get to a point where a desire to publish a document on the Eucharist would lead to charges of disunity? I'm convinced that many U.S. bishops, too often in practice, if not in theory, have acted as though accommodation to the culture was the way of evangelizing the culture. Hiding our differences, exaggerating our areas of agreement, avoiding conflict, that's no way to win over the world. You remember the early love fest surrounding Pope Francis? The Advocate, the premier gay journal, made him their man of the year. They loved him until they realized that Pope Francis was a Catholic and actually believed all that stuff about chastity and traditional marriage and male and female being created in God's image. We certainly do accompany unbelievers. We meet them where they are, but we don't reshape our beliefs to accommodate them. It's an insult to them and to us. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. So what would you look for, though? Because uh, too many, you know, not too many people are going to be going around saying, well, this person said this about this topic or whatever. They may not know that they're pushing particular agendas unless they have other students whom they know in the school. So how do you find out? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a whole a bunch of things you could inquire about. Sometimes you could simply ask something about, like, can I see your mission statement? Mm. Does it oh, have yeah. religious missions? Does it have a goal? Who's the final authority in, in that type of thing? What kind of policies do you have? Who teaches courses? Like, let's say a lot of this is where a lot of um, people kind of penetrate into the school with wrong ideology, and that is through topics like, uh, uh, you know, Literature? What kind of policies do you have for literature? What about teaching human sexuality? Um, what a about reading the list? Can you get a hold of a reading list as a parent? Yes, you can. If you go to the Cardinal Newman Society site, that's cardinalnewmansociety.org, and we have right on the front page there a list of, of approved books, which are just, I mean, these are classic great books that a school should have. And that's, that's just one aspect. But, you know, as I said, the wrong ideology can penetrate schools in any number of ways. Sometimes they come in through, and we've seen this in politics, things come in through the most flowery mm-hmm. language, right? Mm-hmm. Diversity, um, sustainability. I love all these, these terms. And people, oh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. And then they're duped into what exactly that means. And so it's the same thing um, with this. You have to really look inside of it. You know, um, as a business person, I look at the Catholic schools, and I'm, I'm cautious, especially around this Catholic Schools Week, because I think of it, you know, the, probably the most prominent thing right now in the world is talking about supply chain. And if you look at the Catholic supply chain, starting with baptisms and going all the way through to Catholic colleges, we're in a dire situation. Right. I mean, baptisms are down 80%. Oh, yeah, I can attest to that. My husband's a deacon. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and weddings, deacon, weddings too. Yeah. Weddings. And so, you know, you say, okay, sacramental marriages, how much are those? 80%. How many births? Just the birth rate. We're at the lowest U.S. birth rate ever recorded. I mean, and now Catholic women are, are indistinguishable on these graphs when compared to other women at other ages where it used to be a Catholic woman would have four to five children as compared to a one or two for a Protestant. Now it's it's indistinguishable. So baptisms are down. Then you go to Catholic elementary school; they're down seventy percent, as we talked about in students. Then Catholic el- uh, secondary school; that's down seventy percent. Then you go to Catholic colleges. Now this is interesting. This is the only place on the Catholic supply chain where numbers have gone up. And why have they gone up? Because people are going to quote Catholic universities. And expecting to, sometimes they don't even expect to encounter Catholicism when mm-hmm. they go to some of these schools. And then you go to the next level, and you know what the, the worst statistic I can, I can think of, and it makes me really pause, is that there was a stat not too long ago that said that the number of Catholics, adults, who used to be Catholic but no longer identify as Catholic has gone up in the same amount of time Catholic schools have plummeted, 
that number of former Catholic adults who no longer identify as Catholic has shot up 800%. So there's definitely a connection there between this this lack or weak education in the Catholic schools and in many of them versus what's happening to what's happening in our society. Okay, we have about two minutes left. So I'm going to give you an an opportunity, by the way, a great catching up with Kevin Murphy, and he's giving us a, a, a reality of the situation here with Cardinal Newman Society, but I know that you're a positive guy, and this is why you do what you do. So kind of wrap (laughs) us up on a good note on what we can do to make a difference here. I always like to give people a nice shot in the arm. Yeah, so one thing that's great is we are are seeing more and more schools line up to become Newman Guide recommended. In our K-12 market, our, our poor Dr. Denise Donahue is working her tail off because people are lining up to say, I want to be recognized as authentically Catholic in teaching what the Church teaches. So how do I get that Newman Guide recommended status? Go to the Cardinal Newman Society site, cardinalnewmansociety.org, and in there you'll see all the information about Catholic schools, as well as Catholic colleges, as well as Catholic graduate programs. The positive thing for you as a parent is this gives you kind of a track to go on so that you can insulate yourself from the nonsense that seems to be penetrating educational systems. That's number one. The next thing is, know this, there are great signs within the Church of renewal. Um, As a matter of fact, when we provide information to schools today, we call it tools for renewal. Mm -hmm. We're seeing new schools pop up. We're seeing pockets of faithful Catholic schools. Well, I think it's important to be realistic. I mean, I always say there has to be a balance. We can't put our heads in the sand to pretend that there's no issues. At the same time, we have to be aware. But I always say, be aware, but don't despair. That's become my new phrase for myself. Be aware, but don't despair. So I really appreciate this information, Kevin. Kevin Murphy is the VP of Marketing and Communications for the amazing Cardinal Newman Society. Give us a website one more time. CardinalNewmanSociety.org. Thank you for all the great work you do. Really appreciate it. And the reality of the situation, we need to know. And also, if we're looking for Catholic schools, another thing I think we could talk about this another time is check out the teachers' Facebook pages, see what they're posting and talking about. That's a real good indication of where the instructors stand on the issues. Kevin, God bless you. Keep up the great work. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connections.